The Holy Gospel according to John chapter 6. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Seated. When I stepped in, I thought the PA system was making noise, but it's a very, it's the world's largest vacuum cleaner, apparently, over there in front of the Papa John building, and we'll cut them some slack because the students are returning. Otherwise, I might think, really? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. We are now in our fourth week in the Gospel of John's magnificent sixth chapter with its overarching theme of bread for the hungry. John began with the physical hunger of 5,000 people whose stomachs were grumbling, at which point Jesus, with only two fish and five barley buns, fed the whole lot of them. In that moment, we were reminded that the Lord, who here compassionately responded to the physical hunger of grumbling stomachs, in this case as only he could, calls his church compassionately to do the same, to feed the hungry in the ways that we can. Feeding the 5,000 the way he did, of course, was a miracle, although we learned that John in his gospel does not call miracles miracles. He calls them signs, as in things or events which are what they are, but which are also simultaneously meant to be pointing beyond themselves to something else, or in this case, someone else, and a sign now pointing to him and reading, this ain't just another rabbi come to town, folks. Pay attention to him. Listen to him, because something about him somehow is something of God. In our second week in John 6, we saw the crowds come find Jesus again, apparently wanting him to do that bread and fish thing again. But instead of offering a repeat performance, Jesus said, You didn't see the sign, did you? If you had, he said, you wouldn't now be asking for more bread to feed you for one more day in your life. You'd be asking for the bread that comes down from heaven to feed you unto eternal life. They said, well, give us some of that then. It's already been given to you, Jesus said. It's already come down from heaven for you, he said. For standing right before you here and now, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
And in those words, we are reminded that if the only thing we are feeding ourselves and our hungers is the bread of the physical things of this physical world, we may have bellies that are full and beyond full, but our souls will starve to death. Which reminds us, too, that as Christ's church called to feed the hungry, we are called not only to share loaves and fish and fruit cups and mac and cheese, but also in word and deed, the love and the promises of Jesus. Last week, our third week in John 6, we heard some in his audience then grumble, not with grumbling stomachs, but with grumbling words. How can you say you came down from the Father in heaven? He said, you came down from Nazareth. We knew your mom and dad. Jesus at that point did not back down or backtrack. Instead, he said, there is so much more to know than what you know. So know this. To see me is to see the one who has seen the Father and to believe in me. To eat of the bread that I am is to be nourished not only into new life here and now but also into eternal life with both me and the Father hereafter. For I, he said, repeating now a version of this theme for the third time in this chapter, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And then with words that begin today's reading, he goes deeper still. And he says, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Once again, a profoundly powerful promise, which once again is not fed upon, but grumbled about. Eat the bread that is his flesh. Nonsense, they said. The heck, they said. Jesus again did not back down or backtrack. Instead, he now shifted into four-wheel drive to push forward. Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, he said, and then he now added, and unless you drink his blood, you have no life in you. But those who eat my flesh and drink my blood, he said, have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them, and they will live forever. And shifting now, moving with these words from not just eating his flesh, but also drinking his blood, Jesus now not only increased the number of people who didn't understand him, which, to be clear, at this point in the story, is every single one of them, including his disciples. But he also increased the number of them who were angrily insulted and offended by him, which surely you join me in finding understandable at this point, right? I mean, even listening to these words now, how many times we've heard them, you just go, really, what? It's even more understandable when I point out to you that those Jews who first heard Jesus say these words knew full well that in the law of Moses they had been commanded more than once never ever to eat or drink blood. Not ever. And so when slaughtering meat so that it could be eaten by a Jew, the blood was drained and gathered and then placed on a burning altar to be sacrificed back to God with the smoke arising up to heaven. The reason being that the life of a creature 
was believed to reside in the blood. And so that blood needed to be given back to God, from whom all life comes. Then, to be absolutely sure things were kosher, that meat was next seasoned, soaked, and salted. That brining process removing any remaining traces of blood, any remaining traces of life. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely something to note, something going on here. The life of all creatures was believed to reside in their blood. I mean, it was obvious, right? When a body, human or animal, is pierced, it bleeds. And if it bleeds enough, it bleeds to death. So clearly, obviously, blood is life. And since all life does come from and resides in the blood, the book of Leviticus did more than once command that when slaughtering animals to be eaten, the blood, the life, was to be given back to God. But now, absolutely, absolutely, did something to notice because this is going on here. Now says Jesus, eat my flesh and drink my blood because yes, Yes, indeed, in it is life, which is life that God wants to give to you. At which point Jesus now, to my understanding, has now closed a circle in this chapter by returning to where he began, which was with physical bread, except he does so now to speak of his version of an even deeper promise as having moved from bread that was physical and literal, then we took that trip through bread that was metaphorical and spiritual, we hear Jesus now speak in what amounts to the Gospel of John's version of bread that is not only physical and literal, but also sacramental. Bible Study 101 well, this may dip into 201. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Paul also in Corinthians, all speak of that Thursday night, that night in which he was betrayed, that night just hours before he died, in which they all say, Our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for them to drink, saying, Drink of this cup, it is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. John in his gospel, in fact, says more about that Thursday night than any of the rest of them. In fact, I didn't do a word count, but he may say more about that Thursday night than all four of them combined. As he devotes five entire chapters, nearly one-fourth of his entire gospel, to those few hours Jesus spent with his disciples in that upper room before he was arrested and crucified. But in spite of all those words, speaking of all that time in that room, John in those chapters offers no comment about that Last Supper with bread as body and wine as blood. As Jesus, says the others, instituted a practice the Christian church went on to practice immediately and to practice still in what we've come to call the Sacrament of Holy Communion. 
And why does John not mention it? Well, because John, being John and telling his Jesus story his own way. I mean, remember that one verse long Christmas story we heard just a few weeks ago? What? Remember? No shepherds, no wise men, no Mary, just Joseph. No Joseph, just this one verse. The Word became flesh to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. That's how John says Christmas. John being John and telling his Jesus story in his own way has Jesus speaking of the sacrament not at the time on that Thursday night, but rather in his own way ahead of time here in John 6, which I want to say is to say that here in John 6, Jesus is speaking of the sacrament of Holy Communion, not literally historically, but rather prophetically, theologically. Okay, maybe 301. We do know that when John's Gospel was released, it was the last one. It was released to the church that already had the words of Jesus, of Paul and Matthew and Mark and Luke. And so every time they are gathered, sharing bread and wine and recalling Jesus' promise, they did it every time. These are my body and blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. In that Christian church, the minute they downloaded their copy of John's Gospel, they absolutely heard in John 6 Jesus speaking of the bread and wine of communion to prophetically, theologically promise that in the meal that, the, that, 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 that sinners are forgiven, but they are also given new life now and forever. They heard that in John. Christians, still being sinners, darn it, even though forgiven, have unfortunately, sadly, tragically, grievously, not only fought, but in some cases fought to death over how exactly to explain and understand the miracle of the sign, the, the mystery, that in the bread and the wine of the sacrament we do receive the body and blood of Christ. The Roman Catholic Church, more than a thousand years later, eventually brought the pre-Jesus worldview of Aristotle and his substance theory to the conversation to explain the mystery with a doctrine called the doctrine of transubstantiation. It's really quite, quite intricate, quite unique, quite good in its own way. A few hundred years after that, after Luther's Reformation, many reformers who split with Luther to form, well, I want to say more Protestant brands of Protestant denominations explained the mystery by saying it's really not so much a mystery because really it's just a symbol. As in when Jesus, according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Paul, did say this is my body and this is my blood, what he was obviously, of course, saying is this symbolizes my body or this symbolizes my blood. And so there too, in John 6, Jesus says when he says, you must eat my drink and eat my flesh and drink my blood, he was obviously, and of course, speaking symbolically and metaphorically as well. Luther, as he was often wont to do, um, and I like this about him, chose not to explain the mystery, but rather to own it, and even to relish in it, and especially to relish in what he understood to be the most important thing of all, that not being the mystery explained by us, but rather the mystery's promise for us. 
In doing so, however, it is clear that his understanding of the mystery, Luther most of all, the one he most didn't like, and this surprises people, the most he didn't like was the more Protestant Protestants' understanding that the sacrament is pretty much merely a symbol. And though, of course, symbols are great, and though, of course, there's all kinds of truth in the sacrament that is true symbolically and even powerfully so, what was at stake for Luther in arguing that the words, the truth of the words, this is my body, this is my blood, is also true more than symbolically, what was at stake for him was something like this. Symbols are great, but if all we have are symbols, then Jesus, who was once upon a time here among us as a flesh and blood human like us, is now far, far off in his heaven where we sinners eating and drinking are to remember him as hard as we can. And hopefully that helps. And you want to know something? I have no doubt that remembering Jesus as hard as we can and as often as we can, including when we eat the, the bread and drink the cup, surely is good and surely does help. It's just that Luther had found himself born anew when he discovered in Scripture not a good and righteous God who sits up in heaven looking down upon us sinners with a frown on his face telling us to be good and righteous enough to close the gap between him and us, to find our way from our sin up to him, but rather to discover a Scripture in Scripture, a God of grace whose Christ would leave his heaven to find his way in flesh, in blood, all the way to our flesh and blood and sin, to be goodness and righteousness and forgiveness and life in us, with us, for us. And so the not explaining the mystery, but rather owning the mystery, Luther relished in what he understood to be the mystery's promise that in the bread and wine of the meal we have come to call Holy Communion, the very same Jesus who left heaven once to come entirely in flesh and blood, comes again, leaves heaven in bread and wine, which somehow mysteriously grace fully are not just the spirit of him, certainly not just the memory of him, but the whole him, the entire him, the same him that walked this earth, all of him, in the bread, in the wine, in body, in blood, to us, to save, to forgive, to grace, again, and again, and again, and again. Repeat as necessary, as long as grace is needed. Or as Jesus says in John 6, and does so I believe, prophetically, theologically, looking ahead not only to that night in which he was betrayed, but I believe also looking ahead prophetically and theologically and grace fully to the meal we will soon share. 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. Amen.